Hello. Hi. Uh, I'm Devin. I'm Chris. And we're here to do the Body Politic podcast. Yay! Online. Online. We don't know what's going on today. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that's going on is that Chris is wearing a t-shirt with Karl Marx's face drawn on it. He has a very dark mustache and a very serious look. And next to his face, it says, when life gives you lemons, destroy capitalism. Yeah. Which is a great shirt for how we're feeling today. Yeah, we're feeling ready to burn that shit down. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when it comes to education. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's the basis of our discomfort. Yeah, we're here to talk about discomfort today. That's the topic. We already had a meetup where we talked to people who we're working with in the live in-person version of the Yoga for the Body Politic inquiry. And we talked about discomfort with those people, and that was really interesting. And then weeks went by. During those weeks, there was an uptick in the anger part of discomfort, I think, for both of us. For me, I've been sitting closer to the experience of oppression mm-hmm. than I often have to do. Before we go too much further in. Oh, yeah. Maybe let's make space for other people. Good call. To think what their discomfort's about. Right. Yeah. How does it feel for you? What's discomfortable? And that's a big part, right? Like we spent a lot of time on that in the the live version, just trying to define, like, what does that mean when we say discomfort, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. not pain Mm -hmm. and it's not comfort. Mm -hmm. There's something happening in the middle there. Does it have to do with suffering? Is it closer to comfort than suffering? We we were like trying to talk about that. Yeah, Yeah. What is the experience of discomfort? And we'll get into that today. But wherever you land with that right off yeah um go ahead and sink into that so here's some some time to think about that okay okay Uh, you were saying uh well actually what i was thinking about or feeling about when we were having our quiet time was just period pain Mm-hmm. because I've been there so for a couple days. Yeah. Yeah. I have the kind of period, and I actually was recently talking about this with my 10-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old friend of hers. They were, like, needing some details. I had to be real with them that when I was in middle school, I had the kind of period pain that would, like, have me passed out on the floor in a stall in the bathroom. And it also caused me to throw up. So if I took the painkillers too late in the pain arc, which I insistently did for like a year because I just didn't get it because I was 12. Yeah. Then I would puke them up and then I couldn't get through the pain arc. So what I was explaining to my daughter is that eventually I learned to take the pain pills quite a bit before it was painful enough that I felt like I needed to take the pain pills. That interrupting of the discomfort experience is something that I often encourage people not to do with 
like certain kinds of emotional discomfort. And at the same time, when I'm teaching a trauma-informed yoga class, I'm definitely like, you should know when you're starting down the path of being too far inside and having that be something that pulls you into the past and into past experiences that live in your tissue. I'm thinking about that with chronic pain too Mm. and also surgical pain because I've had -hmm. a lot of experience with both of those things. It requires me to be really honest with myself Mm. in a way that's really difficult to do. So my chronic pain is in my leg. Uh, The other day I was going to go for a long walk Mm. to go to a place, the Zen Center. And as I started on my walk, I could feel the the pain flaring up. I was like, this is okay. This is going to be fine. I'm getting better at it. Right? Like there's the self-talk <laughs> yeah. right there. There it is. So like, this is going to be okay. This will be fine. Mm-hmm. And also I do, um, it's not bad enough yet. Right. That it's not bad enough yet. Maybe it's not going to get worse. I can, I can manage this. Mm. And then in the back of my head was going, but how will you get home? Mm. And it was finally that that was like, okay, this isn't a thing that I can do today. I have Mm. to stop. It was before the pain was extreme, you know, like I have a great range of pain in my injury sometimes, and this is less so because I have a new treatment for it, but it was just all the time pain. Mm. And now I don't have that all the time pain in the same way. Mm. So when it starts to come up, I'm like, it's okay. I lived with this for 12 years before, mm. but now that's not an all the time pain anymore. Now that's a cue that it's going too much, mm-hmm. but it takes a lot of, I don't know. I feel like I have this like tub that's like compassion and it's like a really thick lotion. And sometimes I just have to <laughs> scoop it out with my hand. <laughs> And like smear it all over myself uh, before I can have the honesty to say this isn't going to work. Yeah. The first day of my period, I have that cream. The first day I get permission, I've already given myself permission. If you feel the threat feeling, then you're just going to medicate. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just going to take Advil as soon as I have the threat feeling because I don't need to walk around in discomfort spending a bunch of energy monitoring, is this discomfort about to become pain? Right. That and, takes so much energy. Yeah, it takes so much energy to be in that space. I don't have a life right now where I can just lay on the couch if I'm like, maybe it won't turn into pain if I take the cue of this discomfort, right? Which is another part that I want to talk about with this. Sometimes the discomfort is just a cue that's like, you need to do some self-care. Yeah. And the Advil is just like opening the door out of the self-care room and being like, well, ha ha, can't feel you now. (laughs) You actually were like, I have to do the self-care, even though that looks like not the self-care you wanted to do, Mm -hmm. not going to the Zen Center. You had to do a different thing, which is just like honoring yourself in the present mm-hmm. moment with all of that extra compassion lotion. Mm-hmm. I'm like, the compassion lotion is just like, you have to do the life that you have in yeah. front of you today. That means you get to just jump out of this space of discomfort. And I can just pop some pills and it's terrific. It works so well. Of course, we don't mostly have that for the kind of emotional 
discomfort that is a lot of what we want to talk about well we do in here you think but it doesn't kick us anywhere useful that's what drug and alcohol use are about <laughs> i feel like that doesn't even work for me anymore <laughs> well yeah <laughs> it doesn't work and the advil works but it it does the same thing you'd get to not feel it for a while right but the great thing about menstruating is that it's just these couple days yeah so if i can just not feel it for the first day then like Staying in a place for the second day where I'm uncomfortable, you know, I have the heaviness, but I, it's much less likely to turn into pain. On that day, I usually have a better shot at being like, I'm going to move more slowly and just let the discomfort in my body remind me of like all the work that my body's really doing right now, yeah. like important processing and let myself feel connected to the earth because of that and respectful of my ability to make children and how much that means to me mm -hmm. and feel in a place of honoring that, mm -hmm. you know, that's what I hope to get out of that kind of discomfort. Yeah, that's the sort of interesting, useful discomfort arc mm -hmm. to be able to see it with the equanimity of what the full picture is. Mm. This discomfort is not representative of just one thing, but of honorable and beautiful things mm. i'm glad you went there yeah the discomfort we've been talking about with education yeah i think there's a similar output it's the discomfort that education can be an honorable and beautiful thing too and that the types of education we're witnessing right now are not adhering to that value also, I feel like so much of the discomfort comes from the fact that even inside the not adhering to that value, people are still yearning for that. There's so many bodies, like bodies of children and bodies of youth and, and the bodies of adults who are teachers and administrators that like at whatever level they're estranged from the the connection to the depth of meaning that we think education is about and the depth of like self-inquiry and shared inquiry i believe that we're all yearning for that yeah and being at my neighborhood public school we're there because my kids charter school is messed up on a bunch of levels. Charter schools are messed up on a bunch of levels. And also my kid has been going to a charter school for five years and it's been a really beautiful place for her to spend a lot of time. There has been this uplifting in her like daily experience of connection to the earth mm -hmm. and social emotional awareness and how much time it takes to do that. Mm -hmm. And then for me to go into the kindergarten where my second child will go, there's no visual indication of an awareness of social emotional experience mm -hmm. at all. And like, I'm sure that these teachers, you know, if you're a kindergarten teacher, you want to deal with small people's feelings because mm -hmm. otherwise 
you could get a different job. Mm -hmm. You know, like I trust that these women who are holding space in these classrooms, that they're yearning for that kind of connection and for helping children make that kind of connection to depth in themselves that that's there for them and that they're in touch with it. Mm -hmm. And then it kills me even more to think that they're seeking to meet needs in a structure that doesn't even recognize those needs. Yeah. I'm feeling that teacher position really strong right now because that's like the basis of my frustration Mm. in my own situation is I was talking with my partner. I have like 80 students this term two classes of 35 students and one of 12, which is actually small. Usually I have three of 35 and grading takes forever and I cannot give my students feedback. I just have to give them a number and then they are sometimes upset about the number and ask me about the number. It takes a long time to grade 120 papers and putting comments on all of those papers is not tenable. And so I was expressing this frustration to my partner and he was encouraging me to make the grading easier on myself, which is not a bad thing to encourage. Like Mm -hmm. I could make it much easier on myself and meet the requirements of the class. Mm -hmm. But the thing is that I don't mind that the grading's not easy on me. Mm -hmm. The thing that I mind is that with so many students in such an unsupported position, there's no way I can meet the values that I have about what I want to help my students do and how I want to help them do it and um, what I think they can do and what I know they can do. The frustration with grading is is just a very visible piece of that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, being in the space in whatever way of, like you say, connecting to what feels like possible, what that yearning is in us. Yeah. Deepens the discomfort so much. Right. It's not that I am disappointed, I guess. Well, I am disappointed in grading as a whole system, but it's not that I'm not willing to sit there for two or three hours, three days a week and engage with the work that my students have prepared for me, mm-hmm. and I uh, give it back to them. Mm-hmm. It's that with 80 to 100 students, or more, some terms, the engaging that I'm doing with it is superficial and about checking boxes mm-hmm. for them about whether they're going to get this degree or not. Right. Instead of spending two to three hours, three times a week, helping them think through complex and nuanced situations Mm -hmm. and how they're going to engage with those and how to give them tools and resources for their lives. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's not that the time is the problem. It's that what I can do with the time is is so limited and so frustrating for everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. And what you're telling them as an authority mm-hmm. by how you spend that time, mm-hmm. you're telling them what is yeah. important. Right. And I have this whole section on my syllabus that says, what does my grade mean? 
often when students ask me that, what they really mean is, can I have more points, please? Mm-hmm. Or can I have more points, period. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when I was like super in it earlier this week about my frustration with the situation I'm in, I was trying to remind myself of this too, but I've told them like in person and on the syllabus, the grade doesn't matter (laughs) in the sense that it is more important than things like your health or Mm -hmm. your connection with your family and friends or your connection with the earth or the connection with your spirit or soul and whatever way you want to understand that. I was really in there like with this deep frustration with this whole system and I was sitting in my garden and I was like, oh, this is the thing that's important. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, right, the it's completely nuts for me to say to my children, this thing that you're going to do for the vast majority of your hours, for the, all of your childhood, it's not very important. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. Like, it's both. It's one of the things recently, a good friend of mine who has her kid in public school, who previously had her kid in a charter school, who even at her public school is dealing with this division among the parents because there's a Spanish immersion program and there's a regular neighborhood school mm-hmm. and they're in the same space. All the Spanish immersion parents, not all of them, I'm sure, but all the ones that she interfaces with are very clear that the neighborhood school is icky. It's just an impoverished learning environment and that you would never send your kids there if you had a choice. Mm -hmm. It is really hard on her. Yeah. And she feels totally alienated by that perspective. Yeah. As a person whose kid is in that school, but also as a person who has some privilege and has some education around equity issues, she is really can see how active whiteness is operating in the need to segregate by access. Yeah. And to express the value of segregating children based on what they have access to. Yeah. In her frustration around that, what she said to me was, what do they think is happening in there anyway? It's just school. And I was like, oh, like dagger to the heart. That was like such a normal response to discomfort Mm -hmm. for her to be really uncomfortable and for her to be like, I need to minimize this discomfort. But in order to minimize the discomfort, I have to minimize the whole thing. Yeah. And it's certainly not that school is not important. And it's not that she thinks that school is not important. And when I say the grade isn't important, I don't mean it's not important for you to work hard or Or it's not important for you to learn or the education isn't valuable. Right. I mean, this is part of a whole. Mm -hmm. Right. When I walked away, she, she sort of edited a little bit from that conversation and she said there's just so much preciousness yes which is um like an elitism thing and it's a thing that happens um in whiteness and other places too like not just because of whiteness but what was interesting to me is that when i walked away from the conversation and i was like trying to sort my discomfort and how 
I was like, oh my God, I'm a teacher. I'm spending a bunch of time thinking about school choice right now. Um, my whole life is school. If education doesn't matter, if it's just school, then like what the, you know, this is what we're going to do with all our kids and we're going to say it doesn't matter. There's a parallel between the average adult job too, mm -hmm. where Absolutely. someone is work. at work from eight to five and it's a shitty job. People are hurting themselves from sitting all day and from not having access to sunlight and going and for walks. Because corporate culture and, is toxic. Yeah. And it's just so parallel. And then, you know, if you talk to an adult, like, what about your job? It's, it's just, just a, a job. Just a job. I do it yeah. so I can do other things, which you don't have time to do or right. energy to do right. because everything is getting sucked into the job. Mm -hmm. Right. Or those other things become valuable only in the sense that they're not the job. Right. That they're an escape from the job. Right. The place I went from preciousness with that, and I feel it anytime there's like um, the demeaning of the bulk of what people do in comparison to the relative value of what a few people do and the kind of scramble to try to get inside the group of people who, who has relative value mm -hmm. or gets access to something good. Um, is scarcity. That's like such a source of discomfort for me. So often when I'm like, the discomfort is edging into like I'm going to puke up the pain pill territory, but I'm talking about emotional discomfort. Really often what's, what's there when I sink into it is the sense that there is not enough, mm -hmm. that there will not be enough. I'm thinking about that in terms of... I want to come back to discomfort itself a mm -hmm. little bit, how that might play with our other notions of discomfort. Because mm -hmm. when we had the live meeting, mm -hmm. we were like, oh, yeah, we'll talk about discomfort. That's a real clear thing to talk about. Uh -huh. And it rapidly became clear that it was not a real clear right. thing to talk about, right. that everyone has totally different ideas of discomfort. And not only that, that there's different layers and levels and types of discomfort and mm -hmm. We're like, okay, so like the discomfort of walking with a little rock in the bottom of your shoe mm -hmm. or the discomfort of chronic pain mm -hmm. or the discomfort of realizing you just said something that hurt someone else. Right. And like in the room when we were having this conversation, we had responses all the way from like, I don't think learning can happen unless there's discomfort to I can't learn if I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. I think everyone sort of maybe stepped back from their positions a little bit because we were all noticing mm. this. Mm -hmm. But I think part of also what was happening is that we didn't have a grasp on what we meant when we talked about discomfort. Mm -hmm. We even were talking about, okay, what does discomfort feel like in my body? Like, how do I know that I am uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. Even in that sense, we couldn't get to like a clear thing about or like a consensus a consensus right. right about what it is to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. there were good points it depends on the kind of discomfort mm -hmm. right i realized even as you said my chronic pain is in my leg that there was like a easing for me because there are parts of you that are not in pain mm. i was like ah nice mm -hmm. Chris's chronic pain is just in her leg. Yeah. So often when I work with people who have chronic pain, it's systemic, yeah. you know, or it travels or it's yeah. like so unpredictable. 
And I'd say that my chronic pain is systemic too, but... Right, absolutely. <clears throat> and like has everything to do with how much energy you have right. or where, what the trauma feelings are. But... <laughs> it just in my right. body, uh -huh. I was like, ah, oh, yes. it's in her leg. It's like true. a part. It's true. You know? And that's something that I want to do with discomfort really often is be like segregated. Mm -hmm. Be like, it's only affecting this. Mm -hmm. It's only a part of this. But people were talking about depending on what they're engaging with, where that 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 changed where the discomfort was. Right. Right. Uh, you were talking about, is it the vagus nerve? Mm -hmm. So in the live version, I was talking about how sometimes a student will get really sort of aggressive and in my face. And it's especially uncomfortable when that student is a man and especially when they are an older man. When I have that particular feeling of discomfort, I have sort of like a central clenching. And also my skin feels sort of like it's floating away from me mm -hmm. and is permeable and trembly. And I was talking about this is a physiological shift mm -hmm. in your nervous system, mm -hmm. in the kind of information that your nervous system is giving out mm -hmm. through your vagus nerve, which is like this big nerve that goes from your guts up to your brain, mm -hmm. right, through the middle of you. Mm -hmm. And it actually is amazing. And it loops around and connects all these different spots but so often when we have that center body clutchy feeling i think of the scarcity feeling as being something yeah. that happens in my stomach and is like real low pit of the stomach and gut tube mm -hmm. that's very much vagus nerve information mm -hmm. when i have discomfort because of the chronic pain mm. it's very clearly starting in my leg mm. but i'm wondering if like the systemic part means the other things get uncomfortable too. Mm. But this feeling of scarcity also really seems to be there. For instance, when I was trying to walk to the Zen Center mm. and couldn't, it felt like a scarcity of not having enough of the right shoe. Uh. The shoe was broken uh -huh. and it was the only shoe I had to uh -huh. wear. Uh -huh. And so I couldn't do the thing uh -huh. because I didn't have enough of the right shoe. <laughs> right. <laughs> And so I'm, I'm curious about this link well, and that I would, we've made between discomfort and scarcity. Well, and I would say, like, even if you went underneath not having enough of the right shoe, there are other not enoughs mm -hmm. that I like can Like not enough cartilage. <laughs> underneath there, right. And, like, not enough toughness. Yeah, that's true. You know, and, like, we can keep going into, like, is what i am enough yeah you're gonna make me cry now for right <laughs> it's intense and so of course we put a cap on that and the cap is shoe yeah and i can say the shoe is not enough or the school is not enough yeah or the support that i have isn't or the support is not that enough. i have is not enough is insufficient it's like that feeling where i was like oh good chris's pain is only in her leg yeah i'll isolate it a little bit in how I think about this. And then it's not really happening to Chris, mm -hmm. right? But what does that do? It takes away the wholeness. Yeah. So without taking away the wholeness, mm. I'm thinking about ways that we might respect and see it as a part of the whole without saying it's separate from the rest of mm -hmm. the whole. 
That makes me think of often when I am doing zazen or something, an unpleasant feeling will happen. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm working with the desire that often comes with that unpleasant feeling to just squash it. Mm. And instead, what I've been trying to do is sort of a version of Tonglen, which I'll explain. Breathe in the icky feeling Mm -hmm. and breathe out space and relief for that. And I have this sort of visualization of this icky feeling knocking on this comfy living room that I'm in. Mm. And what I want to do is hide behind the couch and be like, maybe it won't notice me here. No one's here. This is not part of it in my visualization when i'm trying to let the icky feeling be there i'll go to the door and say oh hello icky feeling please Mm. come in make yourself comfy on this comfy couch there's space here for you right there's enough here for you right listeners is anyone like (laughs) ringing the roomy poem right now uh there's enough space here for you you can you can sit here it's Mm. fine you are part of the whole thing that is me which is like, that's anti-scarcity. Yeah. That practice. Yeah. Being comfortable with the discomfort is saying, right. hi, icky feeling. Please come sit on, on the couch. Can I get you anything? There's totally enough space here. And All of us are part of this yeah. whole yeah. thing. Yeah. You're yeah. sitting right next to my favorite feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Right? And you both belong there. Yeah. So much of the feeling of being endangered to me is that if I do let the icky feeling in, or if I put my child into the system more fully, if I step more fully into a system that it's very easy for me to list the problems and how entrenched the problems are and Mm -hmm. how connected they are to all the other Mm -hmm. problems. And it gets really big. The scale of problems gets really big. Mm -hmm. And you and I are both thinkers like that. We're both really not wanting to ignore the expansiveness and the scale of the problems Mm -hmm. and how interwoven they are. And at the same time, I feel like it can be easy to shift from, okay, I'm going to let the icky feeling into the room And then we're like, everyone in the room is looking at the icky feeling. Yeah. And you're like, well, you're here now. So we have to keep an eye on you so you don't smash the furniture. Yeah. The welcoming tone that you described is so different than, yeah, like I'm sitting and an icky feeling happens and I'm like, I have to keep an eye on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can be here. You can be part of things. You might be the only one in the room, Mm -hmm. you know, which happens so often, Mm -hmm. I think, to students, especially young kids, where it's like you get this repeated feedback based on you've messed things up before and I have to keep an eye on you to make sure that you don't mess things up again. And then the message that you're getting about yourself is that you're dangerous. Right. That, too, I think comes from the sense you know just the sense that you and I were talking about of like I'm not enough for this level of pain or I'm not enough for this kid like I won't be able to tolerate for real systemic reasons like these teachers are overworked and there are too many kids in the classroom and they genuinely aren't enough because there genuinely isn't enough support for that one teacher to be able to do what needs to be done for 
26 five-year-olds, right. some of whom are working with a lot of trauma. Right. And even the other ones are just still disorganized people. Right. Because they're five. They're five. I mean, that happens in my case, too. I mean, right. my students range from like 15 to 60, but they're all dealing with all sorts of things. Right. And it's my intention to be welcoming to mm-hmm. all of them. Mm-hmm. And this support for that is just not there. And the the message that I'm getting about how to deal with it is to create less flexibility and to create less openness. Mm-hmm. And my sense is that that's for me. That's for the school. Yeah. And it's not for the students. And it's not actually for me because the thing I'm interested in is meeting these values. And I can't meet the values if I am not interested in welcoming in all of the people who want to come in. And it's that freezing feeling, right? Where you're like, that's such an embodied feeling. And what we're talking about, I mean, we're talking about a body that is a school. We're talking about a body that is a classroom. And the individual people in the classroom are just like the individual feelings or the the you know icky feeling that arises and passes away because no kid in a classroom is just straight problematic the problematic things in this kid's life arise and they come out of his body and they take up space in the classroom and they fade away and this kid is sometimes really gentle and easy right mm-hmm. and the same is true inside our bodies but when we do the freezing pattern where we say that icky thing is always icky that's what it is and that's I have to identify it as icky so that I can protect myself from it Mm -hmm. right which is like there's not the shoes bad Mm -hmm. it's the shoes problem Mm -hmm. and we harden to it then not only just like you were saying if you were to harden your body if you were to harden the structure of your classroom if you were to harden the environment like freeze the environment up then there would be somehow like a stronger boundary and yet you also would have less mobility yeah and less access and less comfort yeah so i just said comfort which is something that i want to talk about you said it too you know you were like well how do we have comfort with discomfort Mm -hmm. also i want to talk about the arc of not just staying in discomfort all the time yeah because that Um, can be habitual in the same way that wanting to be in comfort all the time can be really habitual like that's the thing that we want is to be comfortable all the time, mm-hmm. which really works against us because we can't be comfortable all the time. Right. If we could develop a sense of comfort or ease with the discomfort that comes up, we could be more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you get an increase in the mm-hmm. amount of time that you spend being relatively comfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. And to draw on our past episodes, mm-hmm. we can make action from a place where we are okay with the thing I'm about to do is going to make everyone really fucking uncomfortable, Uh huh. including right? me. Totally. Which is a place we're going to find ourselves in a lot when we are confronting things like capitalism and patriarchy and right. genocide. Well, I assume that the listenership of this show is actually made up of people who are less likely to try to keep themselves comfortable all the time and more likely to get habituated to a state of agitation and discomfort. That, too, can still be, you know, like we talk all the time about the, the Buddhist perspective, which is no one but you knows what makes your world brighter 
and deeper and more rich with meaning. Nobody but you knows when you are slamming the door and keeping yourself in the room and keeping whoever it is, who's whatever, whoever your guest is, who's come to change your day, keeping that person on the outside or keeping that feeling on the outside. Because of that and because our experiences of discomfort range so much and because discomfort can be a source of self-protection or something that we get habituated to Mm -hmm. to stay safe, it's helpful for me to have a sense of a spectrum that's like a vocabulary of my own embodied sensations. Mm -hmm. So the hardening that I was just talking about with you of like that feeling of I'm going to introduce more structure I'm going to give myself less to do. I'm going to, I don't want to be in this uncomfortable place again and again and again, where I'm aware of not getting enough support. I'm aware of not giving them the kind of support that I want. I don't want that. And so I'm just going to make it firmer. Mm -hmm. That thing that I was calling hardening or freezing, that's what I name it in my body. When I get to that place of like, I need a boundary and I'm dropping it now. When I bump into that, I'm like, okay, this is total like just yoga class stuff. That's like you don't have to come up with a different plan. All you have to do is back away from that edge Mm -hmm. and you'll be back in the wholeness. Yeah. Then you'll be back off that edge. Even just a little bit, you can come back into the wholeness of letting the leg be connected or of letting... Even if you're not all the way in the mood to let the icky thing in the door, you can be like, the icky thing's allowed to knock. I can deal with the icky things knocking. I'm still allowed to sit on the couch. Yeah. And on the other side of the hardening is the collapse. Right. Where you're like, <laughs> like yeah. ineffective. Yeah. Nothing will ever happen. And I, those spots are really easy to bounce between. Well, and because I'm in this situation with, the charter school situation i am like oh the collapse feels like tuning out if i could get myself which at this point in my life i cannot but i can see it happening in some other parents around me and there were definitely times in my life when i had access to that in this particular i still have access to it in other areas but in this particular situation the collapse is like well my kid's fine yeah. Even though there are kids at this school who are not safe. Yeah. And have been made really clear to the other children who know those children to be this thing, which is a child of color, means that you don't have to be safe. Yeah. That people don't have to make you safe yeah. at this school. The collapse is, oh, that's too ucky to touch. And you just kind of fall away from it. Parents are like, they don't respond to emails. They're, they don't go to, to the meetings that are available. They're just kind of like softened and checked out. Yeah. And there are very good reasons for that. There are some people who have too much going on in their lives that's too discomforting already, yeah. right? And they just can't also add this to their pile of discomfort, mm-hmm. you know, and it's self-care for them to not engage. And to bring it back to the action piece again, mm-hmm. for the hardening, it's like dropping a wall. Here it is. This is the way it has to mm-hmm. be in order for me to be okay. Tunk. Mm-hmm. And for the collapse, it's like, I'm ineffective. I can't do anything. Right. right. Yeah. I'm. Bleh. It gets really vague. Right. Right. Both of those can be a place of comfort because they're familiar. And mm-hmm. in the hardening place, it can feel like control in a right. way that 
you didn't have it before. And yeah, if you just kept marching off to the Zen Center, that's hardening. Right. It's hardening to the sensations that are coming to you in your body. And it's hardening to the tenderness and the availability that you have to yourself, to yeah. the desire to care for yourself. Yeah. Right. And hardening to the vulnerability and and fear of what it means given where I'm at in this process of using this new device to encounter mm-hmm. pain with it. Mm-hmm. And on the other end, the collapse is I'm not even gonna I can't. Try. Like I just there's that space of like because I'm not doing it now, it might never right. happen. I might not maybe it's not working. The thing that we're so interested in is just everything else. Right. Like anything else that happens in between those spaces. And we've talked before, right? And we can talk again about how they connect to each other. Yeah. Very often it's like collapse until hardening. Right. Or hardening and then exhaustion from hardening and collapse. So really that's like this thin line that goes all the way around the edge of wholeness. Mm -hmm. They link to each other, Mm -hmm. but it's this thin line. Mm -hmm. And the rest of it, all the, the bubble inside is so many different kinds of discomfort Mm -hmm. and so many different kinds of comfort that aren't enforced Mm -hmm. or that we don't have where we don't have to alienate ourselves from wholeness to get access to that kind of comfort or to be tolerating the discomfort a place that i go with that is oh i feel the hardening coming down or Mm. i feel the collapse is there a way that i can just take a teeny step Mm. away from it and and remind myself that these are on this soap bubble edge and just Mm -hmm. pop it Mm -hmm. this kind of language that i brought to like our body politic conversations initially like years ago really just came out of embodied practice and watching people practice because when we're in a posture just like a physical posture and we get that scarcity feeling. The hardening and collapse are both a way of dealing with scarcity. Yeah, it's a response to scarcity. And both a way of not feeling whole. Right. And so the trying to step back isn't trying to get toward the middle because I don't know where the middle is yet. Right. But it's trying to get to... I can still touch it over here if I want to. Mm-hmm. If the hardening is really the only thing that's there, I can get back there. <laughs> right? It's still an option. <laughs> but maybe I can just touch it with one of my fingers uh-huh. instead of sliding myself all over the wall. Right. Or feeling that it's actually happening inside right. my body. Right. That hardening or that collapse. Yeah. We have that my skin is tingling. Because I'm just going all to pieces because there's so much collapse here. Or my gut tube is rigid because that's where the mm-hmm. hardening is happening, right? And yeah. they're, they're partners in that physiological sense. And so stepping away from that is often a relief because it's a reminder that the scarcity is just this thin soap bubble wall mm-hmm. and not the wholeness mm-hmm. of myself. Right. And again, like again and again and again, I'm like, these are embodied sensations. Right. The cue you get is in your body and that's why we started out with the whole body politic thing with like how do you just do sensing how do we feel when the hardening is happening how do we feel what the feeling of collapse Mm -hmm. is right and that's why any kind of like yoga practice can be so helpful to people because they get 
a sense of their own vocabulary right. because hardening in my body doesn't feel like I can't even translate right. it. And similarly, in meditative practice, the first thing that you'll get with meditative instruction is what to do with your body. Mm-hmm. The following your breath, which is often a instruction, is a way to feel that too. Like what is available? What mm-hmm. feelings are available? Or I was noticing this morning that getting distracted during my zazen, then my eyes sort of shift to the left and my right shoulder hikes up. Mm. When I can notice that and bring my eyes back to center, then I don't even have to consciously relax uh-huh. my shoulder. Uh-huh. The hardening there is the shoulder relax and the eye drift, which is really look, you're coming away from the center. You're you're going over to the distraction of thoughts, which are not interesting. I mean, half the time when I'm doing Zazen, I'm replaying TV show scenes. Ooh, you know what I want to say? <laughs> so often when I'm in hardening or when I'm in collapse or some combination of them, there's judgment mm-hmm. happening. Yes. And that's where I was going with that. And too. what you were just saying, I was like, oh, that's so funny because judgments, my judgments are usually not very interesting. That feeling of like, I'm so drawn to these distracting thoughts in my meditation, but they're not interesting. I'm so magnetized to my judgments and to the particular body positions that hold those judgments, like your eye slide. But they're not, my judgments are not compelling. Yeah. They're not any more interesting than the TV scene I keep playing for myself. Right. Yeah. Maybe at some point the judgment was interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, like the Hamilton soundtrack that I've listened to like a zillion times now. There's like some little tricks that that happen with the lyrics and and the vocalization. And it's like it expresses an emotion so well. But now... That's just been happening in my head for so many days. And it's like a judgment. It's like, at a certain point, that made me feel so connected and safe, right? And now it's just like this habitual thing. Yeah, that reminds me of something you and I were just talking about before we came in here. The scary thing already happened. Mm. But with this, it's like the flip side. The good thing already happened. Right. The, it's, the joy it's, of it's the judgment happens. Or like you. the TV show or whatever. Right. Yeah. And we're revisiting it. Right. Right. We have to want to come off of the edge. Yeah. And if we don't really want to come off the edge or it doesn't feel like I'll still exist or I'll be safe or I'll be able to get back if I come away from hardening or if I come away from collapse, if I come away from my judgment, mm-hmm. right, where I'm like charter schools are the bad news or the public school style of teaching kindergarten is totally effed. Those are these places where if I want to go there and get stuck or you're like I can never connect to my students in this construct as long as I have this many students as long as this is how things are set up I'm never going to be able to be the teacher that they need in this situation or the teacher that I can be right and we're just like glue and it's so dark and it's comforting to be uncomfortable about those things Mm -hmm. we're like ah yes i can finally just be pissed that these things are the way that they are i don't have to like make a nice face for anyone i can just enjoy my feeling of being uncomfortable about this fucking situation if i don't have to make a nice space for anyone that includes me and that's like why i really want to just touch before we close on comfort giving ourselves having tools 
for getting comfort and just really honoring that we are all deserving of comfort. Like wholesome comfort, not Wanting. the comfort of... I mean, I think comfort is wholesome. The comfort of being like, I can be really comfortable right now being angry with something, you know? Ooh, I don't like think that's... That, that, that that's really comfort, though, do okay. you think? Well, that's what I mean. That's what my distinction about wholesome comfort was. Right. Right. And wholesome's a good word, because what you mean is the whole of me is comfortable. Right. Not just one part of me that's like, whatever, the, right. the angry mom part. Right. Or, or the... Yeah, having a glass of wine after I've had, like, a, a day that was really rough is comfortable in some ways. Right. And in some ways that are fine right for me to take comfort in but it's not the same type of wholesome comfort i get from laying in the grass and looking at the bees Mm. that's right the distinction i wanted to make right yeah i feel like any way that i can find where body is really included and we come back to this again and again getting wasted as my source of comfort that's what i meant when i was like but it doesn't work right (laughs) yes because it actually hurts yes It hurts too much to be including of all of me. Anything that we can find, you know, back to the self-care episode that feels inclusive in the comforting, that is wholesome. Like all of the pieces get to be there. Get to be there, even briefly. That, I think, helps us build up a sense of what we can be in contact with other than the hardening or the collapse that let me know that I exist, right? Yeah. Or the distraction, which is like another tool that that happens all the time and is part of collapse, really. Mm -hmm. Comfort. One of the big places that I have learned to practice staying with discomfort and developing comfort with discomfort is in the context of um, talking about race Mm -hmm. because it's very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the Courageous Conversations structure, they're really explicit about being uncomfortable, choosing discomfort, staying with discomfort. This is one of the things you have to do to be able to do this work. Orienting that way means that then when you have a really, really, when you're just like your stomach's crawling and you're just pawing the floor with your feet in the middle of one of these conversations, you get to have the moment where you're like, I'm doing it. Yes. This is how it's supposed to feel. Yes. That right there is like instantly comforting, right? right? We're like, like, I'm this not, is the thing I planned for. I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm. I can be uncomfortable, really uncomfortable and not wrong. That is really expansive. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's part of the Courageous Conversations curriculum is they say expect and accept non-closure, which is a big piece of discomfort. Yes. Right? Where like you and I both want to put a T on this conversation <laughs> so bad. And it's not in the cards for it's us. It's not happening. Expect <laughs> and accept non-closure. Yes. Devin and Chris. 